In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Well, everyone else got a chance to see the Badgers on Saturday, Jesse. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the greatest uh, weather for the launch. Uh, about uh, 10,000 people came out, got a share of what? Wind, snow, sleet, sunshine, and some struggles in the passing game for the uh, the first team offense. I think there's a, a number of ways we could start with this, but I think that's probably where a lot of people's focus is. Um, Tanner Mordecai throws four interceptions. I think we can go p- interception by interception and uh, place place some blame uh, in different places. Uh, he certainly owns some of it. His receivers own some of it. And I think we have to give a little credit to the uh, defensive backs as well, especially Ricardo Hallman on his uh, one-handed grab. But there's, I mean, I think that, to me, that was the... Uh, I think the thing that people were talking about coming out of that, there were a ton of positives, right? I think Braylon Allen looked good. Braden Locke in that second team offense moved the ball. The first team defense, uh, just ball hawks. But uh, I think we need to start with Tanner Mordecai. I would agree. And the weather was just a cruel reminder to everyone that we live in Wisconsin, unfortunately. It was so bizarre that there was massive snowflakes coming down during a portion of the practice that looked like a late November game. And during other portions, it was sunny and the weather that everybody hoped for. But I, I do feel like Badgers fans who have been so hyped up to see this offense for the first time, and it was also broadcast on BTN for people who didn't have a chance to be there in person, probably came away from it feeling a little disappointed or at least a sense of, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And I can certainly understand that. I think it's a little bit unfortunate, um, but also a reality check because Tanner Mordecai, had stacked so many great practices together. And um, this certainly was not one of them, but I think Luke Fickle did this on purpose. This is not the last practice of the spring. He wanted a chance for these players to evaluate everything and for the coaches to evaluate them and have a couple more practices to try to fix what went wrong. But perhaps a a little bit of a humbling day for the first team offense. I would caution people that this is still, that was the 13th practice for this group together. And there are still more than four months before the season opener, but not uh, not his finest performance with the four interceptions and three interceptions on the first three offensive series. So let's get into it. I don't want to uh, be the excuse maker for him, right? I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but in, in looking at the three interceptions, the first one I think was definitely on him. I think you know the the pass to Will Pauling, it sailed. It he stor- he you know he essentially was staring him down. And Kamoi Latu made a great break, but even if he hadn't been there, the pass wasn't going to be complete. Like Will Pauling was stumbling coming off his break. It was a bad throw. It was a bad decision. I think that one was on him. Can we agree with that? I would agree with it. And uh, I mean, Latu just stepped right in front of it and picked it off. So I'm I'm in agreement with you there. Yeah. The second one that was also thrown in the middle of the field that ended up in Ricardo Hallman's hands, Skylar Bell, it felt like Skylar Bell stopped. Um, yeah. and, and I don't, blame him because uh the uh the db was right there and i think maybe he was expecting a big hit from kamoi latu he stopped uh the ball was still high i don't know if it would have been caught anyways but um there was there there was a little i think there's blame to go around on that one yeah in that sequence um and i it was funny trying to keep track of everything live as it happened okay what's the down and distance what's actually happening but i had it was a seven second and 14 
Wisconsin had the ball at its own 36 yard line. And that one, it sailed over Skyler's head and right into the arms of Ricardo Hallman. I do think another thing to keep in mind, and we've talked about this some, but how the receivers and the quarterbacks have to be on the same page. It's so much different what they're being asked to do in Phil Longo's offensive system that the receiver has the freedom to do what he wants in his routes. And I think a lot of this comes down to obviously communication with the quarterback and the receiver, but I'm interested to see what this looks like when the season actually starts. Um, Because I think there are clearly some growing pains in terms of how the receivers decide to make decisions and how the quarterback views that. Um, But uh, yes, that was uh, more than I think Mordecai to blame, but not his best throw either to put Bell in a good position. Nope, not at all. Not at all. So the third one down the field, it was, I believe it was first down and they took a shot and it was essentially just one-on-one Tim Radike and Ricardo Holman. And, you know, Ricardo did a fantastic job of yes. um, putting his body between Tim Ray and the ball. And I know that there was some thought up in the press box or not the press box where we were sitting uh, that there may have been pass interference. The more I looked at it though, I don't think so. I think he's got the right, you know, to be going for the ball and putting his body where it was. It's not like he had his hand out. And and to be fair, Chimray DK was holding on to him desperately uh, there towards the end. But it was just a ridiculous catch by Ricardo Hallman, a one-handed grab on that deep ball. I mean, it was a one-on-one. You're you're putting you're you're saying I believe in my receiver more than the than the DB and and let him make a play. And Ricardo Hallman made a fantastic play. Yeah, I think that's one of those you tip your cap to the defense. Would could the location have been a little bit better? Well, obviously, because Hallman was out in front of it, but he just he held DK off perfectly. And I know we'll get into Hallman's big day and probably his spring in general. You tip your cap to an incredible play by a cornerback who is on fire right now. Yeah, I mean, he's got six picks in um two practices. And the fourth one was just Everything's going your way if you're Ricardo Holman with this yes. with, with with the with the third with the uh, fourth pick by Mordecai because he throws a ball to C.J. Williams and I think it was thrown intentionally you know kind of behind him because he his eyes were back to the quarterback and and Holman's weren't and he's able to come back and I don't know man that's you're a Division One wide receiver you're a former five star recruit you got to make that catch and it hits his hands bounces off and just this is where Ricardo Holman's luck is it yep. bounces right into his hands and I mean I, I guess it was another really good catch because I think it was another near one-handed grab off the bounce but that's on CJ Williams that has that has to be a catch that has yep. to be a catch it went it went through his hands and if you've got an opportunity uh you got to take advantage of it so I, I don't I don't put that one on on Mordecai obviously it doesn't look great from the statistical standpoint but you got to come up with that. And Hallman was was there. And you got to give credit to a DB because a lot of times people make jokes about these guys are DBs for a reason because sometimes they have hands of stone and you see him drop opportunities. He took advantage of basically every opportunity that was there and he had several other great pass breakups. So an, an outstanding day by Hallman, but that one's on the wide receiver and not Mordecai to me. Yeah, it definitely was. So those are the four interceptions that Tanner Mordecai threw. Um, when we're looking at some of the balls that he did complete or uh, that weren't intercepted i thought that there were a, a number of passes behind guys mm-hmm. i i thought that um you know there were some opportunities for catches that guys dropped and then there were some really good throws i'm thinking the the whole shot to cj williams you know between alex smith and the safety was probably his best throw of the day it was just an absolute money dime down right right down the right side there just there weren't enough there wasn't enough of that and when you throw any interceptions like he did it 
you know, we we barely saw a ton of the first team offense there in that first half because of the interceptions. You know, you, you throw the pick and then it's the second team, then the third team, and then you get back to the first team. I imagine they probably would have liked more reps for the first team offense than what they got in that first half. Yeah. Um, and obviously people are probably familiar with this, but the whole idea was the first team offense. It was going to be live tackling in the first half. And, and by the time we got to the second half, they were just sort of thudded up a little bit, especially with the running back. So that first half was just the, the real true competitive one-on-one that we ones versus ones that we wanted to see. Um, you know, I, I did my best to keep stats. I feel like they're pretty accurate, but they're unofficial because Wisconsin didn't provide stats. And I think it's worth noting, like, reporters in general for almost for all these other practices we we don't keep stats it's not really uh allowed not really something yeah it's 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 been frowned upon for quite a while because and and it makes sense because like if you're trying to keep stats of skeleton drills it's kind of meaningless and it doesn't really uh i think show what they're trying to work on but for this particular practice i did it because um look it's a it's a live scrimmage there's ten thousand people in attendance it's being broadcast on btn Let's track what's actually happening. And the numbers that I came up with for Mordecai, and these are unofficial, but I had him completing 17 of 32 passes for 97 yards, obviously no touchdowns and the, the four interceptions. So to me, that indicates that, I mean, a lot of these completions, and we've seen this in practice quite a bit, short throws into the flat. It's that whole idea of get the ball into your playmaker's hands right away so they can do something with speed and space. There weren't a lot of huge chunk plays. You mentioned that uh, completion to, to CJ Williams. I want to say it was like 14 yards or something like that. So the numbers weren't great, but I will say that I thought he responded pretty well despite that that tough stretch. I think he had a stretch where he had five consecutive completions, and this is over more than one drive, and another stretch where he had six consecutive completions. So he came back. I think at the end he completed 11 of his last 16 passes, and that was something that Luke Fickle said on the radio broadcast afterward. Again, reporters didn't have a chance to talk to anybody from this particular practice. Fickle talked after practice on Thursday, but he said that, it's easy to look at what Tanner did and say, oh, he he got picked off three times or whatever it was. But Fickle said he was impressed by the fact that he didn't bat an eye, he didn't get down, and he kept coming back and kept firing. So, um, you know, I don't want to make too much of this one practice. But again, for fans, it's the only practice that anybody's had an opportunity to see. There were some good things from Mordecai, but based on everything we've reported on and, and what the hope is that he can bring, I think people would have loved to have seen more. Yeah, and I, I think um, – I. A little bit of a question for you, whether and what you think on this. A lot of what we've seen from Tanner Mordecai, a lot of the good stuff was inside. Mm-hmm. And since they've gone outside, maybe he hasn't been as consistent. Do we put any of that? Do we? Is there anything there in your mind? Maybe. I mean, uh, maybe like, again, we, all we have to go on with him in a Wisconsin uniform are these practices that we've seen. Um, so and I, I would, I mean, again, like, it's just hard to judge a comparison, and I know we'll get into Braden Locke, but Tanner is going against a number one defense, which, based on what we've seen, man, I think they're going to be pretty damn good next season. Um, obviously, Mike Tressel's implementing his own system and trying to take some pieces that Jim Leonard had. They are making plays when the opportunity arises, whereas Braden Locke is going against the twos, and so it's a little bit different. Uh, having said that, Mordecai's going to be facing defenses like this, maybe even better in the Big Ten. Uh, but I, I do think what we've seen when he goes outside it's worth noting at least right now um they're gonna have a lot more opportunities in fall camp to be outside in camp randall but uh i want to remind people that overall i mean he he he's far and away been the number one guy he's been very consistent it was just it was a bad day for him in the first team offense overall 
Yeah. And I, th- I think it's also notable as part of Luke Fickle's uh, comments in the post game. It was, he also said that uh, there's um, you know, in these situations, the defense is ahead of the offense and yes. there's probably more similarities to what Wisconsin mm-hmm. used to do defensively than what they're doing offensively. And we obviously, we know that, right. Um, <laughs> you're going from, the offense that Wisconsin used to run to what we saw on Saturday, the defense, while it, yes, it does have some differences with that dollar package and that type of stuff. There's a lot of similarities to what they, they do defensively because um, they've been able to mesh some of that. Wisconsin's not really meshing a ton of what they used to do offensively into what they do now. So I think that's also part of it. Again, I don't want to be the excuse maker. Um, so uh, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And while he did have those five, I think it was five, straight practices where it was really consistent and really good. I think the last few have not been great. So mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll be looking to see how he responds in these next, these last two practices, Tuesday and Thursday, close out spring ball. I think it's important for him to to go out on a high note. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, if we had the opportunity to talk to Taylor after Saturday, I have to imagine he would not have been thrilled with his performance. That's probably uh, goes without saying, but Again, that's why Fickle and his staff does it this way, so they they can evaluate and try to pick on areas where they can get better. Um, and I, I fully expect him to be better next season. Again, I, I I think this is a bad day. There's no excuse for it because uh, you came here for a reason as a six-year senior after starting for two years, putting up great numbers at SMU. But it is a practice where this team is still trying to learn. And if this is, becomes more the norm <laughs> rather than an outlier, an outlier, then you've got cause for concern. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, what can you say? The, the numbers weren't great. He did lead one touchdown drive. I'm sure we'll get into that so we can talk about the running backs. That was more about uh, Braylon Allen and what he was able to do, but uh, not his finest performance by uh, by Mordecai, obviously. Well, and that's that's where I was going to go. We'll get to Braylon Locke in a second, but the, the first team offense, the one touchdown drive that they did lead was a lot of Braylon Allen. He got his first uh, live action in the spring. And, uh, you know, he showed off a little bit of power, also showed off some quick feet and uh, the agility that he also has. I think it was, was that the late, late first half that, uh, that drive happened? Or yeah. Was it, yeah. And he had, I think he carried, what was it? Four times for 50 yards or is it five times? Either way, he, uh, yeah. I, you I want me was, to look? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it was four times for 50 yards, broke off a couple of nice long runs and then went in from three yards out for the score. The, the running game for the first team, certainly flashed, you know, where, where the offense, where the, uh, the passing game was a little bit of a struggle. The first team uh, running the ball, you know, in those live segments where you could, where guys were actually getting tackled, there were some holes. Yeah. I've said before on this show, when people ask, well, how does the running game look like it's impossible to know when they don't get live tackled, whether Braylon had a four yard run that was stuffed or a 24 yard run because he broke a tackle. And so we finally had an opportunity to see it. And Badgers fans need not worry. He's still got it, and they're going to rely on him and Ches Malusi a ton. He broke off back-to-back impressive runs on that drive. So he had a 17-yard gain. It was third and three. Wisconsin had the ball of its own 42, and then he had a 13-yard run, and obviously he capped the drive with a three-yard touchdown run. The unofficial numbers that I had were that Braylon carried 15 times for 71 yards, and they Ches had 12 carries for 67 yards. His best run to me was actually in the second half, so I don't know whether he would have been tackled for – a shorter game, but there was a high snap and he took it for 19 yards, showed really good burst. Look, Chaz and Braylon are just going to be absolutely huge for this offense as much as we've talked about the running game. Braylon looks, despite being 240 pounds, uh, he he looks like he's got great burst. Obviously, he's still got uh, the ability to be physical and break tackles. So 
that was really good, I think, to see some positive momentum for the first-team offense, even if it didn't necessarily come from Mordecai, because I had him down for, I think he completed four or six passes for 16 yards. Again, a lot of short completions, but Braylon did most of the damage. He did. He did. Um, I think it's worthwhile to mention. I, I know you kept the sack stats. Um, there were a lot of them. I don't yes. know how many, how many of them were against the first-team offense. Well, I think... Let's see. There were 10 sacks total. There were four sacks made by first team defense guys. Jordan Turner had two. Muma Jong Meta had one and Rodas Johnson had one. Um, so yeah, probably a lot of it was on a lot of it was on the reserves. Um, and I know people were freaking out. Uh ah, the offensive line is terrible. And I have to admit, that was not the thing I was tracking the most, at least live. Because again, you're trying to they're going so fast and I'm trying to keep stats. But uh, a lot of it was on the reserves. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's get to the second team offense. Uh, yeah. And we'll get, again, we'll get to the defensive side because there were uh, t- uh, Ricardo Holman not alone in making some plays on that side of the ball for them on Saturday. Uh, but Brayden Locke, he led a couple of scoring drives or a couple of touchdown drives, finished him off with, uh, I think it was 11-yard touchdown to Hayden Rucci and a 15-yard toss to uh, Quincy Burroughs. He wasn't fantastic um, throughout the entire day, but – I think what he shows, he, he shows poise and he shows the ability to work through his progressions. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's not zeroing in on one guy, like the guy that he needs to, to go through um, or go to before the snap. He knows he can work through it a little bit, and he did. And he, he's not the biggest guy, and I don't think he has the biggest arm, but he knows where the ball needs to go, and he's accurate. Right. We, we've talked before about his knowledge of this offense, which is a big reason why he's been able to vault into the number two quarterback position this season and appears to have positioned himself well for the, his long-term future. But he he doesn't beat himself generally. He makes the right reads. And, and we saw that uh, on several occasions. His first drive with the second-team offense was outstanding. He completed five of six passes for 63 yards, and he, he did he threw that 11-yard touchdown. It was a third and nine. He threw it to Hayden Rucci. It was great placement, great catch because of safety Austin Brown was draped all over him. But there were a couple of other really good throws, good placement on that drive. He had the 16-yard completion over the middle to Quincy Burroughs, who I know we'll we'll talk about as well. He held on despite being absolutely drilled by safety Owen Arnett. And then Locke had another great completion to tight end Jack Eschenbach for 22 yards. Uh, so that was a really good drive. My favorite throw that he made may have been probably overlooked or or something that you're looking at all these other plays. They don't necessarily stand out, but he had a, this was in the middle uh, of the, all these second team series that was third and nine. And he was flush from the pocket and he just hung on, hung on, didn't cross the line of scrimmage as you were talking about going through his progressions. And he found Vinny Anthony open and he completed the 15 yard pass. So that keeps the drive alive, gets him across midfield Stuff like that really stands out uh, about what Braden can do. It's Again, it's that intelligence. And he even said when we talked to him, it's not the most athletic guy, not necessarily the most physically gifted guy. So he takes great pride in just sort of understanding where his receivers are going to be. And that, to me, was an example of it. Yeah, he was really good. And, and the, you know, talking about the wide receivers that he was throwing to. So throughout much of spring, the second team wide receivers were like – I shouldn't say going into Saturday, it felt like the second team receivers were going to be, you know, Skylar Bell, Keontes Lewis, and Vinny Anthony. And when they went out there, it wasn't. Those guys were working with mostly with the first team, like going in and out with the first team. So it ended up being Quincy Burroughs on the outside 
and Tommy McIntosh on the outside. And it gave them an opportunity to shine, man. And and they both did. They both did. Uh, Quincy Rose had a number of great catches. Uh, you know, I think about Tommy McIntosh on the one drive back-to-back plays. I think it was a ball over the shoulder. DB was draped all over him and uh, was able to hold on. He gets up on the next play. I think that one went there 34 yards. The next play, it's a 17-yard catch. Most of what he did on his own. I mean, he, he had, I think he broke yeah. like three tackles to get the ball down to the 15-yard line. And uh, I think a couple plays later was with the 15-yard touchdown to Quincy Burroughs to finish off the drive. Both of those guys, especially McIntosh, we haven't heard from him a ton because he's been down with the third team uh, and, and working with Marshall Howell and, and that group. But he got an opportunity with the second team offense and uh, both him and Quincy Burroughs shined. Those two were the standouts among the wide receivers. And I suppose you can look at this two ways. The first you can go is, man, we've heard all about these top five guys and there really weren't a bunch of huge plays from any of them. What's the deal? On the other hand, to see this shows you how deep and talented this wide receiver core is. And I don't know how many are actually going to play in a game. Mike Brown, wide receivers coach has said that he'd love to have six. And based on everything we've seen that, uh, that certainly seems fair, but they go far deeper than that. Again, this is against the two defense, but but both those guys had had big time plays. I mentioned the catch that Burroughs had over the middle where Arnett just drilled him, but there were a couple other really good ones. He made a catch on the left sideline for 17 yards where he dove and he kept both feet in bounds. That was on a third and 10. And then the touchdown that he had to me was a nice play. It was a short throw on the left side from Locke to Burroughs. He turned and he just beat Jace Arnold for a touchdown. So I had Burroughs with unofficially five catches for 60 yards and that touchdown and then McIntosh as you said not somebody we've really seen break out here this spring hasn't had a ton of opportunities with the top two group but he showed what he can do in that six foot five frame he's got a lot of length and a lot of athleticism that 34 yarder you mentioned came with with Jonas Duclona all over him and Duclona had another really good day and then the one where he broke several tackles so I had him with five catches for 86 yards. I don't know where he's going to stack up in this wide receiver group next season, but I think there's a lot of quality and in some young players at wide receiver. And it was nice to see a couple of them flash. So we have talked about them wanting to use a bunch of wide receivers. Are, are there enough passes to go around to keep these guys happy? And we, we know we, we've seen guys go in the portal already. We've seen uh, some of the older guys that we were expecting, right? Like uh, Spencer Lytle, and a Julius Davis. And, you know, at the moment we're talking right now, um, there's there's nothing official, I guess, with Vito Calvaruso, but um, he was not there on Saturday. And uh, we'll see what happens with him. But, man, that's there's a there are a lot of talented players in that room. And I don't know if all of them are going to be happy just, you know, watching. Yeah, this is really challenging. Obviously, Wisconsin had. 12 scholarship wide receivers, which was the goal. There's three more than they had last season. They're going to throw the ball more, obviously. They're going to throw the ball to more wide receivers, but they're not going to throw the ball to, I don't think, 10 wide receivers. So it's hard for me to be inside the heads of some of these guys on what they're going to do. A lot of guys have given themselves an opportunity, right? They, we've, we've mentioned the top five, C.J. Williams in there, Will Pauling in there, the two transfers coming in, getting first-team reps, and then the three that – were the top wideouts last season with Jim Ray, Skyler, and Keontes. And beyond that, we haven't talked about Bryson Green because he's been recovering from an injury. My assumption when he's healthy is that he's in that top two group because of what he's shown on film at Oklahoma State, the second leading receiver for them last season. And we we 
obviously we were just talking about Will or uh, Quincy Burroughs. Vinny Anthony has had his moments. Tommy McIntosh flashed a little bit. We haven't really seen much from Marcus Allen, who's primarily been a third-team slot wide receiver, and he entered the portal, was going to go to Minnesota. I don't know what's going to happen with him. They've got Tretch Kekahuna, who's coming in next season, somebody who I think can do a lot of damage in the slot. So I, I don't know whether you can keep all these guys happy. Chris Brooks Jr. had two of the best catches of the first week of practice and then got hurt. Um, but it's a good problem to have. Like, if you are if you don't feel you're going to cut it here, that means that there are probably eight or nine or ten guys that are ahead of you. I think that's a good position to be in, and it creates competition. But will everybody be happy? No. I think that's only natural. Yeah, I... I uh... Looking at the rotations, because we we I think I think on Saturday is, is kind of what maybe what we should expect come fall if you know, and we'll see where Bryson Green uh, figures in. But in terms of the first team, you know, not necessarily alternating drives, but not necessarily uh, equal reps for everybody. So I think it's going to be uh, very difficult to keep all those guys in this room, and and obviously they have a few. A while, what is it? Uh, they have until May 15th. Is that right? Oh, uh, it's actually, is it May 1st? It's April 30th now. So that's April, April 30th. 15th okay. 30th. All right. So, so they have until April 30th here to go on the portal. There are two practices left. Again, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a name or two from that room that end up going elsewhere. We'll see how it plays out. But as much as you want to be in this type of an offense, you also want to be guaranteed that you're going to get enough balls your way to make it not even worth your while, but just, just, you know, make it so you have an impact and that you're, you're not playing less than uh, you were a, a year ago. And so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's a very deep room in a, in a room that I don't know that. Uh, yeah. They, I mean, they, they wanted what they wanted 12. They're going to have 13 when Tretch Kekahuna comes in. And I think uh, he's 12, right? Is he, is he? Okay. Well, let me double check real quick. It, it's irrelevant. I, what I what I think is I don't think they're going to have the same number of scholarship guys this fall as they do right now. Is all I'm saying. That was the offense. I mean, do we want to touch on Marshall Howdow at all? Because he led. I the, mean, we he, should. It's it's he, he, he like, led the touchdown drive. I mean, we can and we can talk about Nick Evers too. Really didn't see a ton from uh, Miles Burkett, but you know Nick Evers throws the one interception to Jonas Declona, uh, which is a bad decision, and the throw probably was fine, but the bad it was a horrible decision. Um, but Marshall Howell leads leads the touchdown drive. I think he's honestly Jesse. I don't. A, a lot can happen as Evers gets more in tune with the offense and learns it. But Marshall Howell is, is clearly the number three quarterback right now. I don't. I don't really care what anybody. I don't care what Phil <laughs> says about it. It's uh, it's apparent by his success and just by the reps. I agree one hundred percent. I think it's worthwhile to have this conversation just because I, I don't think anybody had Marshall Howell on their bingo card for the third team quarterback. The assumption coming in was, well, Evers and Locke are going to duel it out, and whoever's not that guy is probably going to be reasonably close, and he'll be number three. And that hasn't been the case at all. And Longo talked about just you have three quarterbacks who understand what the quarterbacks have to do, but also what other guys have to do. He was talking about how they those three how and Locke and Mordecai were going over offensive line blocking scheme and things like that. But we saw it once again on Saturday, and we've been saying it throughout the spring that how certainly appears to have positioned himself as the number three, but he got the most reps. He's the first one in generally. He was the only one of those guys to lead a touchdown drive, and I thought he had some nice throws. And yes, it's against the three defense, but you still got to take advantage of your opportunities. So he had that. He had a nine-yard touchdown pass to Alex uh, Moeller, and I, I had him unofficially 
how completed five of eight passes for 42 yards with a touchdown, but it's more noticeable that the lack of opportunities that Miles Burkett and Nick Evers had. I think Miles came in for one drive. He threw three passes. One of them went for 26 yards. It was just kind of a short throw in the flat to Cade Yacomelli, who had a, uh, some good yardage after the catch, but Evers didn't complete a pass. We haven't been lying. He's just, it's uh it's a lot of work for him to to make up ground and to understand this offense and to make the right reads and decisions. He had uh, he got flushed from the pocket. Uh, Tommy Brunner was was barreling down on him, and so he threw the ball away. He had that interception to Declona. That was a pass that was intended for McIntosh. Um, and then he threw high for Cam Fain. What we did see is what we've seen before. It's that athleticism that nobody else in the room has quite like him. He scrambled for runs of like 14, 7, 5 yards, but you got to be able to stay in the pocket. You got to be able to make the right decision. And uh, that's something that Evers is, is struggling with. So absolutely. Marshall Howe right now is the number three quarterback and it's Evers has the highest ceiling, I think among that group without a doubt. But as we've said, Longo's on his boards, it's, it's knowledge means reps. And right now Howe has the knowledge and he's getting the reps. That can change obviously, right? Certainly it, it can change. And it's, it's ever said this too, when we talked to him that he, he believes he's got the, the athleticism, the arm strength. And he said, it's just that one last missing piece. Now that last missing piece is the biggest piece, <laughs> but if anybody's going to be able to make up ground, you would think it would be him. And he's got four plus months to do it. But right now, how has been very impressive and has earned the right to be the number three quarterback at this stage. Anything else stand out for you on offense at all? Uh, running back wise or. Anything? I, I think, I think we pretty much covered it. I expected to see a lot of Grover Bortolotti and Zach Loudman, and we certainly did. Uh, I don't know how much we'll see of them during the season, but again, it's, it's not a huge running back room right now. Um, when Jackson Aker is healthy, I would expect him to challenge for that number three spot and Yakmelli as well. But I, I think we pretty much covered the, the main takeaways from that particular scrimmage. Do you think it's a, a spot they could look at in the portal or do you think they're going to be fine with just adding Nate White in the, in the fall. Well, when Luke Fickle was asked this question back in December, uh, whether he would try to pursue a running back in the transfer portal at the time, I, I believe he said he felt pretty good about what they had. Now that was before Davis entered the transfer portal. You're always looking to upgrade. I think we've seen that from Wisconsin, certainly at defensive back. If somebody is available that is interested in Wisconsin, then you're going to throw your hat in the ring because you just never know what's going to happen. As great as I think Braylon and Chez can be, they've both had a history of injuries, even if this offense is going to be a little bit different. And I, I think Wisconsin is at least interested in Jackson State transfer. So I think Sivion Wilkerson. Now, there are a number of schools that has, have contacted him, apparently, but uh, it's a possibility, I think, is is what we can say now, but nothing's official in terms of them going out and just offering a running back at this stage. I kind of look at it and I think maybe I use this uh, comparison uh, for another position, but it was um, when you're looking at like a Wisconsin basketball, looking for a big guy to come in and sit behind <laughs> Stephen Crowell, play 10 to 15 minutes uh, next year. Right. Like what you, if you're looking to add in the running back room, you're asking them to come and sit behind Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi and, and compete, I guess, for reps with Jackson Aker and, Katie Akamelli and, and uh, Grover Bordelotti and Zach Lauderman and, and Nate White, like you don't necessarily have guaranteed reps for them. So I think that I think it's going to be extremely difficult to get a guy who could be an impact guy come in right away. Essentially, you're just looking for depth at this point. And you're saying, hey, maybe next year, maybe next year you'll have a chance to play a bunch. But if you want to play this year, 
it's going to be, I think Wisconsin's going to have a tough time selling that. It's also a numbers game too, uh, about how many scholarships do you have? How many guys are leaving? But if you can upgrade and someone's willing to come here, you absolutely do it. I think Wisconsin's in decent shape without getting anybody given that you have your top two, but it's not a big running back room. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. So that was a look at the offense. Uh, Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. And and we obviously have to start with the guy that we've already talked about a bunch. And that's Ricardo Holman on an absolute tear, six picks in the last, last two practices, took one of them back for a touchdown uh, to open Thursday's practice. And then obviously had the, the three on Saturday, Look, he's put himself in a great position for for all those passes, and he's making plays on the ball. For the most part last year, and I'm thinking about the Michigan State game, it's not that he wasn't in position in that game to make plays. He was right where he needed to do to, to be. He just didn't make the play. And what we've seen from him in the spring is consistently making being in the right spot and making the right play. And he is full of confidence. Um, he was full of confidence even after the Michigan State game last year or last last yeah last season. He just does not have any issue with his game in terms of like how good he feels about it. And I think that helped him through what happened against Michigan State. It probably helped him through some of what you know sitting having to sit on the sideline as much as he did towards the end of last year. And you can see he's just the the confidence is just oozing out of him at this point. Um, I know that's not a great visual, but it is. <laughs> well, Alexander Smith sort of called this when we had a chance to talk to him before spring ball even started. And I thought he made a great point that any DB who hasn't given up a big play or a touchdown or anybody who says that uh, they've never played or they're on the sideline all the time. So that's part of the responsibility you have as a DB who's going to get a ton of reps is you have to have sort of uh, amnesia that you've got to be able to move past it, learn from it, obviously, but move past it. And Holman clearly has. He's been the standout among the corners, and and they have some very talented corners, obviously, with Alexander Smith. Jason Matry has made a ton of plays as well. But Hallman is – I don't know what the official tally is. I'm sure that the uh, that Paul Haynes, the cornerback's coach, is tracking it. Hallman is far and away the leader in interceptions. And it's not just that. It's some of the other plays, too. I mentioned this before. The three picks are what's going to stand out from that, that spring scrimmage. But he had a, a really good pass breakup. Uh, and he was matched up with Chimray DK a ton. It, there was a third and three, broke up the pass, hit a really good open field tackle. Chimray caught a short pass, and Hallman dropped him, so it was only a two-yard gain. Um, and uh, and then he had a, another good pass breakup down the field. It didn't count because the defense was flagged for offside, but uh, broke up a pass for DK, broke up a pass for Skylar Bell on the sideline, and then was in coverage on an incompletion for Jack Pugh. So he's just always there, it seems like. He's putting himself in good position, and think he's got a chance to really be a standout this season again i some of it has to be the familiarity um with wisconsin's offense but when you're just when you're making play after play after play it's impossible just to ignore and it's not like he hasn't been making plays all spring it's just now they're turning to interceptions and now they turn into big plays right like they turn in you don't every pat pass breakup is is notable but when it be, when it turns into an interception it's something that sticks out even further, but I just have been extremely impressed with what he's been able to do. And, you know, you, you hope for Wisconsin's sake, he's able to to uh, keep it up because him and him and Alexander Smith and, and Jason Matry, that trio, I really like the trio. Yeah. I've, I've, I've said that consistently. I mean, they're, they have been the ones all spring. They are going to get the lion's share of the reps and, I thought Paul Haynes made a good point too on when reporters had a chance to talk to him Thursday when he was asked about Hallman that he 
Haynes said he's starting to see things a lot better. The better vision you have as a DB, the more plays you can sit there and make. And he said that I think his vision has gone through the roof this spring. So that's notable too. It feels just like things are starting to slow down for Holman. He's got a better sense of where he needs to be. And he's taken advantage of it, absolutely. Obviously, I think Wisconsin has some questions about who steps in after that because what we've seen, guys move up or freshman early enrollees. But that top three, really, really good so far. It is. So that was Holman. You mentioned Akluna and some of the other are talking about the offense, but had a pair of pass breakups and uh, including one on Quincy Burroughs that should have been a touchdown. It should, I mean, he had it in his hands and he breaks it up. It was a great play by him. And then he also came up with that interception in the second half against, uh, against Evers. Again, it wasn't a, a good decision or a great throw, but you still got to make the play. Yeah, he's been great. He's uh, they've he and Jay Sarnold have been two of the kind of movers and shakers that uh, I didn't necessarily anticipate when spring ball started, but they've been consistent. And Duclona keeps making plays. He was I mean, he was uh, invited to one of the All American uh, games, which you don't always see from a, a Wisconsin DB. So he's he's got the athleticism and the intelligence and the playmaking ability. I mean, again, I think Wisconsin would want more experience in the two deep, but a really bright future for those two guys. And that play that he made to break up the touchdown from Burroughs, Wisconsin's football Twitter account posted it uh, so anybody can see it. Just a fantastic play. And he's he's got no fear going in there and, and going one-on-one against uh, good wide receivers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple other guys have stood out in the secondary, which it feels like, it feels like everybody stood out in the secondary, but uh, Kamoi Latu mm-hmm. with the interception – and uh, I think played obviously a huge factor in the second one as well, as Skyler Bell thought he was going to get the crap knocked out of him by uh, Kamoi Latu. And um, so he, he stood out. And then Hunter Wohler was everywhere. Hunter Wohler is going to be everywhere. And we kind of saw it. He he played safety. He played that, um, that uh, dollar roll. And the dollar roll just moves him all over the place. And the fronts that Wisconsin's defense was showing to the offense, again, I – Maybe it's not as confusing as it looks because I'm just not that bright, but I, I look at what they're throwing at a defense and you just don't know where guys are coming from on, on any given play. Hunter Willer's going to have a monster season. He would have had one last season if he hadn't got hurt, but this defense seems to suit him especially well, because as you said, they can move him around all over the place and, and he's intelligent enough to make plays wherever he is. Um, I, it's a challenge to try to project how good I think this defense is going to be. And one of the reasons is because they're going to be on the field more, <laughs> we would assume, because time of possession is going to be probably a little bit different with Wisconsin's offense moving so quickly. But Mike Trestle is able to maximize the ability that these guys have by putting them in good positions. And, and Trestle has talked about it. You slide guys into windows that offenses aren't accustomed to seeing. And we had a chance to witness that a little bit on uh, on Saturday. It just it makes life difficult for offenses because there's a lot of versatility, a lot of different packages they can implement. And they've got a lot of guys that uh, I think have good quality in that 2D. I think I've been on, I don't know if been on record, but I, I do think one of the inside linebackers is going to lead them in sacks. I, I, I'm, that's one of my, that's not so bold predictions. Did we see, I, I think we kind of saw some of why I think that is on Saturday. Yeah. Well, Turner had two, Muma had one and Muma, especially late, Later in the scrimmage, he was all over the place. And I mean, he's the leading returning tackler. He had 95 tackles last season, I think. Um, they don't have like the Nick Herbig. Uh, I mean, ugh, Nick Herbig is going to be a probably could be a day two NFL draft pick. So um, 
I won't be surprised at all either if it's if it's one of those two inside linebackers. Um, they they are hard hitting. They're tough. They are playmakers, and this seems to be a defense that's going to allow them to really thrive. So when we look at uh, obviously the the past defense was very good for the first team defense. Any concern against the run? I I thought there were times that they got gashed a little bit. Or I, no. Or no. I, is it is it because like I'm I'm thinking that, again. Braylon Allen, when you go four for yeah. fifty, there, Jesse. This is the problem with spring football and and fall camp and everything else. When you're playing against yourself, for one thing to be good, the other thing has to be bad. And I, <laughs> like that's just that's just the way it is. So for Wisconsin's pass defense to be great, Wisconsin's pass offense had to be bad. Um, I thought that there was some some good stuff, like a, a lot of good stuff from Wisconsin's run defense, their first team unit, but they also got gashed at times, and that's yep. that's and, that, and that's bound to happen against uh, against that running game but i'm not overly concerned right now i mean we're, we're really we're talking about one drive for a handful of plays um against a guy who better be one of the best running backs in the country this season so um it, it is a challenge though because in most practices you don't know like i've said numerous times you don't know how that play is going to wind up but at this point i'm not going to be overly concerned about it um because Again, it was a couple of plays. I think, I think they have some good playmakers in the front seven. Um, they just they've been. I, I felt like they rotated a ton too. Like we saw multiple different looks with the outside linebackers, and CJ Getz wasn't there. Um, but uh, I'm not overly concerned at this point. Is is my answer? All right. One thing has to be good. The other one has to be bad. It's just the way. Just the way things are. Just the way things are. Um, all right. So that was uh, a look at the offense defense. Got to talk about the special teams, specifically the kicking, because um, to be fair, it wasn't great. They went one for five. The only make coming from Nathaniel Vakos, knocking it in from 47 yards out. Again, weather wasn't great, but we've seen, as was the case with the passing game, we've seen better from uh, the kickers uh, than what we saw on Saturday. Yes, very fair. Look, Vakos is coming here to be the guy. They put him on scholarship for a reason. You got to be better than one for three. I don't care how bad the weather is. And yes, this is just one practice, but it's the practice that was in a public forum. And, you know, he missed a 40 yarder. And then Luke Fickle did the thing where he immediately gave the ball back to the ones. And I thought he had a great response because he made the four, he made a 47 yarder that probably would have been good from 55 plus. Um, but then the very last kick of uh, it was the last play of that scrimmage from 43 yards. He, he missed it wide. And Nate Van Zelf missed a couple of kicks as well. One of them was not only wide, but short. I think he missed from both 44 and 43. I don't know what more you can say. you, you got to be more consistent. I, I think that Bacos will be. He's got one year of a, a very good season as a true freshman at Ohio. They give me 22 of 27. And this kind of weather, you're going to see a lot in a Big Ten in, in outdoor stadium situations. So there's a lot for this group to work on. But I think based on what we've seen, it, the talent is there to be much better. So, you know, it's, it's easy to draw massive conclusions from a single practice. Fortunately, we've had an opportunity to see 13 so far. And um, they have been better, but they'll need to be better. So it was uh, a little bit over, over two hours and uh, about 10,000 people passed through the gates, according to UW, there had been 20,000 tickets reserved or more than um, obviously the weather plays a big part of that. Were you surprised that the crowd was that size or were you expecting bigger, smaller based on uh, what, what it was like on Saturday? 
I was expecting bigger when they put out a number of 20,000. I thought there would be at least 20,000, but just because you have a ticket doesn't mean you're going to go and look, it's free. The weather wasn't good. There's other things to do in April. Um, my, I thought there would have been more, but 10,000 at least to have out there. It's a, it's a good start for people to see what this Luke Fickle era looks like. And also people had a chance to watch it on delay on BTN could have seen it live on BTN plus. So maybe that contributed to it, but, uh, Either way, they, they got the practice done. People could see it, and there's plenty for this group to work on. There definitely is. Uh, one thing before we go, recruiting-wise for Wisconsin, yes. late last week they offered Garrett Sexton, the uh, offensive lineman out of Arrowhead. It was a situation where they weren't going to offer him. They, I mean, they had him at camp in late March, and they did not offer him a scholarship, and they said, I apparently thought they were going to move on. And so he l- released a Final Four of Oklahoma, Penn State, Minnesota, and Iowa – and was going to make his commitment on May 1st. And then Wisconsin late last week offered him. Apparently, it was not enough to even uh, to sway him. And apparently, it was enough to sway him to make his commitment a week <laughs> earlier than expected. Uh, because he, out of out of the blue, on Monday morning, uh, announced that he was committed to Penn State. And I, I wonder if, I, I don't know this, obviously, but I wonder if it was a Penn State it was a situation for Penn State. is like, commit now or, that, or you're not going to be able to commit at all. Because I don't know otherwise why you would you know go from saying I'm going to commit May 1st and then move it up a week. But congratulations to him. Um, this, as opposed to Donovan Harbor and and Corey Smith, this guy actually did have an offer, even though it was an offer that was uh, very much slow played uh, by both Paul Chris staff and this one. Yeah, I uh, I think actually Penn State's um, running backs coach and offensive line coach are supposed to be up on Tuesday to to talk to him, but. Uh... It's surprising on the timing, and I think a lot of people, when they heard that Sexton got the offer from the Badgers, okay, you've got an in-state guy, you've got a teammate, Derek Jensen, who just committed to Wisconsin. Maybe this is real serious, but I, I can't fault him. No. As as much as you are an in-state guy and would like to be a part of the program, Wisconsin took its time and made it clear that they had other guys on the board. And when he came up for a visit, they did not offer him. They, they expected him to come back to, to camp in the summer, and he didn't want to wait that long, and I certainly don't blame him. He had a great list of offers and opportunities. So there's no blame for me on either side. Look, Wisconsin's got to find the, the best guys, and, and I think there was some concern about how he'd be able to put on weight, and they liked the weight that he had been able to put on. But it's uh, I think people are going to see, well, there's three in-state guys going to Penn State. Uh and, uh, you know, what's going on. But uh, sometimes I suppose this happens. And when Wisconsin offers this late in the game for a kid who had already announced that he was going to make his decision May 1st, you have to expect that something like this is in play. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Sexton is not as accomplished of a player at this point than some of the, than like a Derek Jensen or, you know, maybe even a, a Donovan Harper. He does not have the tape to back up necessarily what he is, but he's project like you're projecting on a lot of these guys. And he is a projection because he was playing quarterback until last year. He was a, he was a quarterback as a sophomore. I think he was like six, six, 200 pounds. And he was their quarterback and he was just kept on growing. And by the, by last year, he was six, seven. He had put on like 45 pounds. I think he's put on a little bit more weight now uh, that basketball is over and he's not running up and down the court. Uh, but you're right. Like putting weight on a guy is, is a concern. I don't think to me, I don't think it's a concern at all with him. The way that he's been able to put on weight just in the last year and a half, I, I think he'll be. I think he'll be fine. And uh, I think Wisconsin found that out uh, and, and believed that same thing. They just believed it too late. 
And the timing is just, to me, is just a little curious. <laughs> that that uh, what forced you to uh, to make that move right away? And again, when is signing day? Not till December. There's a lot of time left, between, you know, <laughs> yes. between now and then. And um, we'll see if Wisconsin stops recruiting him. I, I guess I'd be surprised uh, if they if they just stopped and said, nope, he's a loss. Because when you offer an in-state guy, at least expect him to to consider it. And it, um, I know it was late. But it feels like he didn't even consider it. He did. <laughs> he considered it for like a day or two, and was like, "Nope, I'm good. Let's go Penn State." So, uh, but he uh, he is going to Penn State. Donovan Harbor is going to Penn State. Corey Smith announcing on the 28th, also expected to go to Penn State. So you look at the the 24/7 composite rankings, and they have three of the top four guys from the state of Wisconsin going to Penn State. Now, again, Donovan Harbor and Corey Smith are a different situation than than Garrett Sexton, but I think you could look at that and be like, "Whoa." especially if you're someone that doesn't follow recruiting on a, on a day-to-day basis, you'd be like, Whoa, what happened here? What's going on? I thought this staff was going to lock everybody up. I don't think that's fair to say, because I think there are, there are different situations here, but it is a little uh, eye opening when you, when you look at the page. Yeah, it absolutely is. I am very interested to see what happens with Nathan Roy, the four-star offensive tackle from McGuanago, because they, (laughs) it almost feels like they've got to get him. And I think they're in very good position, but uh Again, a long time until signing day. Um, there are a number of offensive linemen that the staff has had in in the last few weeks, more than a half dozen, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. The other thing is, from an offensive line standpoint, a lot of these guys are, uh, I think, set to come back. Now, we'll see who leaves, um, but there are obviously a few more openings. But, yeah, I mean, Penn State, a force to be reckoned with in the state of Wisconsin, and uh, it just shows that Wisconsin is going to have to fight hard. But what I would say, based on what we've seen in the uh, initial months of this staff, if there's someone they want, they're going to go after him with everything they've got until the day that uh, somebody actually signs. And we we saw this with Tretch Kekahuna, who had committed to Arizona. They somehow brought him back into the fold three days later. And obviously with Jamel Howard, uh, I know that was a, a little bit different situation. So um, it's never over <laughs> until it's over in, in the recruiting game. That's definitely the case. Um, does Penn State have more four-star commits from Wisconsin than Wisconsin does? When, um, you think, when, you, when you think about Jerry Cross and then these three? Well, I mean, Wisconsin's signed... In the last in the last four classes. Yeah. Uh, I know since in the last six classes, I think Wisconsin had seven of the ten four-stars, but uh, I'd have to go back and look. It'd probably it's be pretty ir- close. It, it's irrelevant uh, because, again, they didn't... Two of them didn't have offers, so um, it is what it is. Uh, and Jerry Cross was never coming here, so nope. there's there's also that. So uh, we'll see. Wisconsin back on the field Tuesday and Thursday this week to close things out. I'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. Jesse will be back Thursday to talk about it. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.